Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Ayers on the Road, Richard and Linda Ayer. Linda, it's a new year. Happy New Year. It is really on 2019. It seems like a blur to me because we had so many people over the Christmas holidays. Oh my goodness, did we ever have a house full? I bet a lot of you did. I bet you were I bet you were feeling a little like we are now where you you know you've had this wonderful family time and you're so grateful to uh, be with all those that you love most and you're so glad it's over. <laughs> You're glad everyone's gone home, or that you've gone home. Man, we had about between 25 and 30 at our house most of the time for that last week of the holidays, and it was so fun. We had babies, we had teenagers having a wild dance party on New Year's Eve. Oh my goodness. We had adults running to separate rooms to get away from the noise (laughs) and the confusion. But we had so much fun. So, Linda, 2019, New Year. People are thinking of resolutions. People are thinking, wow, I got up this morning and I thought the sun had even told it a little bit differently. I felt like it was sort of the beginning of, you know, the days are getting longer. And um, it just kind of had a, a new feel to it. I think 2019 is going to be a, a good year. Um I think it is, in fact, um, now that I've had time to think about it, our cute new daughter-in-law, granddaughter-in-law, came running in the door of this big party and said, what are your New Year's resolutions? <laughs> and I looked back at her and said, I have not had one minute to think about a resolution. I'm just trying to get through this. I didn't say it that way, but anyway. You know, I think a lot of people start thinking about the new year about now. You know, I mean, New, new Year, they have a New Year's Eve party and they get up on New Year's Day and they watch a football game and they're still in a holiday mode and there's people around and then kind of settles down. And now it's sort of, you know, the first weekend of the new year and by the way, we love that this show's on a Saturday. It's just, it's a kind of a good day to think about the week that's gone past and the new week coming. And in this case, the year that's gone past and the new year that's coming. Lots of folks we know try to center their New Year's resolutions around family. In fact, you know, you hear, you read articles that everyone has a New Year's resolution to lose weight or, or get in shape or whatever. And of course, there's a lot of that, but so many folks seem to be thinking in the vein of how do I prioritize the important relationships in my life? How do I become during this new year, you know, a better spouse, a better parent, a a better friend? Because deep down when we're really thinking and it kind of flows out of Christmas, we, we know that relationships are what matters. They're the thing that lasts. They're the thing that we need to work the hardest on. It's sort of always the thing we're feeling. I don't know if guilt's the right word, honey, but we're, we're always we always know we could do a little better with the people we love most. Yeah, and well, in fact, we have to admit um, that 
a lot of people have a love-hate relationship with New Year's resolutions because they make them and they're going to do this and going to do this and then life just crowds in and you just kind of go through the same motions that you did before you started. Yeah, routine sets back Um, in. It, I, I guess maybe... A lot of people get go for a month or so, you know, really thinking about it, and then we kind of forget about it. But there are some things that we're going to suggest this morning that um, might help you remember them a little yeah, bit. They're longer. a little more substantive than usual, you know. New Year's resolutions that just sort of come out of the air and they're little ad hoc thoughts you have usually don't make a big difference. But boy, we're really prepared to talk about this today because. As those of you who were with us last week know, we've got a brand new book out this year that really was was timed and, and was actually released on New Year's Day, and there's a reason for that. It's a book that we think is really timed for the new year. I mean, it's the kind of thing that, um, that hopefully stimulates a, a new thought process in it, and and again, just to review what we talked about last week was, you know, this idea of the happiness paradox, that the very things we think will bring us happiness, namely, if I, if I have more control, I'll be more happy. If I have more ownership, if I have more stuff, if I own more things, I'll be more happy. And if I'm more independent, I will be more happy. And it turns out, that those three things, control, ownership, and independence, <coughs> excuse me, made me cough just to think of them, they, they end up robbing us of happiness, not adding to our happiness. Uh, particularly on a day like today, when the stock market is uh, so volatile, and uh, there's so many things that we have to worry about and be concerned about. Um, whether it's our weight or money, that's what we usually think about when we think about these New Year's resolutions. But we we, yeah, we want you to think, <clears throat> excuse me, deeper, 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 deeper into the paradigms, into the perspectives of your life, into how you <clears throat> how you actually see life and how you see it unfolding. And so, what we decided we'd do is a kind of a follow up to last week and as a way to start the new year and help us kind of all evolve in our thinking is we're going to do this little mini series today we're going to talk about how control too much of a control attitude too you know we we hear about control freaks we're all control freaks to some degree how does that affect our families how does that affect our our marriage and our parenting And then there's an alternative, the attitude of serendipity, which is the replacement for the attitude of control. How does that help and (coughs) become a beneficial thing within our families? Then next week, the second word, ownership, the second culprit or problem, we'll talk about how a kind of an ownership mentality can be destructive to a family and how a stewardship attitude can be beneficial and powerful within parenting and within marriage. And then the following week, the concluding um, episode in this three-part series, how does too much desire and drive and obsession with independence 
how does that harm us in our families and in our relationships? And how does the alternative, which is synergy or synergicity, how does that make us better parents and better spouses? So, so today, <clears throat> let's think about that first one, Linda. How does, how, when you're a control freak a little bit, or when you sort of want to control things all the time and you, you are frustrated when things don't go just as you want them to and you're, you're wanting to just grasp things and be more in charge and more in control, there's some positive aspects to that. But how can it, how can it hurt us with regard to parenting and marriage? Well, especially because our children are so unique and we really can't control them. They come who they are. I keep, I've always said that they come who they are. And wow, there's so many considerations when you think you can control a child. I mean, obviously you have to have discipline if you have little kids and you have to have boundaries and consequences and all that. But, um, we've had a lot of older kids who have their own kids and um, we, it's just so interesting to us to see the ones that try to have more control. Um, Especially over adolescents and teenagers. Right, how, right. How, how, how damaging that can be to try to control their thinking and their goals and their and aspirations. And what they're doing. And, and yeah. What they're going to be when they grow up. And, you know, this control thing... Um, why? Why I, I've, I haven't thought about that before the show went on, but I got in my mind this this term that we have that we use a lot. So and so is a control freak. What does that actually mean? I guess it's that you know there are tendencies in all of us. We want to have control. It's a natural thing, and we should control ourselves and our tempers, and we should do all we can to control the things that are within our control. But once we start thinking we can control, and especially in a marriage. How many marriages have we seen, Linda, where bottom line is people are saying, I'm just so frustrated because I can't control him. I just can't control him. I can't make him be the person that I want him to be or the person I need or the person that would fulfill me most. And it's very frustrating because you can't control other people. <clears throat> you know, I... Um... <clears throat> I actually, something just flashed into my mind. We went and uh, to test drive a Tesla uh, a few months ago with a grandson who is obsessed with Teslas. <laughs> and so we thought, well, we'll just go take a test drive. And so he was in the back seat. And uh, I let everybody else uh, drive. I mean, obviously the kid couldn't drive. He was only 18 and 17 at the time. And so, but then I could... Um, finally they said, okay, Linda, you can drive. And I'm like, whoa, no, 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 I, I can't, I don't even want to. It's just too scary because they were going to put it on self-drive mode and they made me get in the front seat. It was kind of fun and laughing and so on. But I got in that seat and they kept saying, you can't touch the steering wheel. Just don't touch the steering wheel. This car will drive itself. Just sit there, wow. Linda. Don't don't touch the steering wheel. I it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I felt like I had to have control of where I was going, and it was like so confusing. And I did um, manage to do that, but they said just just turn your blinker and the car will take take you where you want to go. Now, this is coming, you know. This is coming in our lives, and we were just talking about our teenagers. Probably will never drive cars. I don't know, but. 
The point is, it's such a helpless feeling when you feel like you have no control over where you're going or what. Or, you know, or, or just the idea that you're supposed to turn control over to the car or that you're supposed to turn control over to your kids. Right, right. You're like, no, no, I, I want my hands on the wheel here. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about teenagers, older teenagers, young adults. It is so hard for parents not to feel that they need to control those kids because they've been through a lot of life and they know you know how hard it is if you make wrong decisions and so on and so on but it is just really an interesting feeling now, now think of it again get this you know, so we're on two veins here how does control and an obsession with control uh, or a minor obsession or whatever how does it damage our parenting but how does it also damage our our marriage how what do you see in that area, Linda? So, someone wanting to control, wanting to have more control over their spouse and over the marriage and over the, the sort of how that relationship goes. They've had some sort of vision or some preconception in their mind of what an ideal marriage is and they can't quite get it. They want to control it and they can't. What do you see there? I don't know. I, well, we've dealt with that a little bit at our own house, as you know. <laughs> because there are times when you know you have thought I, I this is what we have to do this is I need to control this and I'm feeling a little pushback and I think that's it's just the way everyone <laughs> a is yeah. <laughs> true but um, but it, as we see these our kids who are married who we have eight marriages in our family now it really is so interesting to see how they balance that and it is a huge deal yeah, there's something, there's something, I don't know quite how to say this, but sometimes, well, I'll give you an athletic metaphor. You know, um, a lot of times in basketball, uh, coaches will say, quit trying to, to push everything. Slow down. Let the game come to you. You can't control everything on the floor. There's nine other players on the floor. You're just one of them. Let the game come to you. And, and in a way, in life, if we can turn loose of this notion of control a little bit, if we can divide things, there are some things we should control and can control. Let's try to control our tempers. Let's try to control our weight. Let's try to control, you know, our, our optimism and how we face the day. Let's try to control the things within us. But let's not try to control the things that are beyond our control because all we'll do is frustrate ourselves. So hang in there with us. We're going to take a brief break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about what we the think is the yeah the alternative, what you replace control with. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. We're talking today about control for the new year. Um, it has been so interesting because we have been observing this because Richard has just written this book uh, that starts with how um, how important control is to most of us. Well, we call we we start out this book with the three deceivers: control, ownership, and independence. They are deceivers because number one. We really don't control hardly anything. Number two, we're really we really don't own anything. It's all passes through us. 
And number three, we're really not independent because we're all so dependent on God and on nature and on, and we're independent on each other. But we're, we're over the, this show and the next two applying those three deceivers to marriage. And what are the alternatives? And well, marriage and family. Marriage and parenting. Raising children. Right. Yeah. And so the alternative to control, as far as an attitude that you can replace this control obsession with, wonderful attitude called serendipity. And Linda, what in the world does that crazy word mean? Oh, man. <laughs> you're the one that ought to explain that because you're the master. But um, it is a matter of writing down some things that you need to get done that day, but then when it doesn't happen, something comes up that you don't expect and you're not... That you, you know, can't control. You can't control. Then you go a different direction and you realize it's really better than what you'd written down on your it, list. It, so in a way, it's kind of flexibility. Right, of, of what to do. I, I for example, had... Um, when, when you're watching for it, it happens to you all the time. I had a lot of things on my list yesterday, and one of them was to get some exercise. So I went to a, a little exercise room, and I sat down to this woman who was speaking a, a foreign language on the phone. And I thought, well, I wonder what that language is. And she was right next to me on a bike. Nobody else is in the room. And I said, where are you from? And she said, oh, I'm from Bucharest, Romania. And I thought, oh my gosh, we were just there three, three weeks, weeks ago. ago. And we love Romania. We have a daughter who served as a missionary there and we were there speaking. And honestly, I had the most fascinating conversation with her about how the communists ruined the country and her. she had one only son who she adored who'd come to Utah, become a doctor, become a great doctor, a PhD, and is fixing kids' cleft lips and cleft palates and so on. And she was, had just moved here and decided she's going to spend the rest of her life here with her son. It was the most fascinating conversation. So the point is, there you were wanting to control, I'm here to work out, I'm here yeah, to well, get and this done. And I had done. 20 other things I've on my list. Do yeah. it. And, and along comes this woman that you didn't expect, but that turns out to be a much better, more interesting thing than what you were planning to do or what you thought you could control. That leads right into the definition of serendipity, which is a state of mind whereby a person, through awareness and sensitivity, frequently finds something better than that which he was seeking. And that's a wonderful word. It was coined by a man named Horace Walpole, the son of a British prime minister in the 19th century in England, in London. And I won't go into a lot of detail, but I do love the word. It's so fascinating that this, 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 this author, this man named Horace Walpole, found an old fable about a land called Serendip. And it turns out that Serendip is the ancient name of the little teardrop-shaped island off the coast of India that we today call Sri Lanka. And... This fable was about these three princes that went out to seek their fortunes in Serendip, and none of them found a fortune, but they all found something better. One found true love, one found loyalty, and so on. And Walpole says to himself, man, we need a word for that in the English language. There's no word that describes you're seeking one thing, but then you're because you're aware and sensitive, you find something better than the thing you were seeking, 
And this happened in Serendip. I'll, I'll coin a new word. It'll be serendipity. And so that became his word. And I got fascinated with that word years ago, partly, I'm going to make an admission here, Linda, partly because I was a control freak. Can you believe it? No, me? I cannot believe me? that. I mean, you'd never know it now because I'm such a serendipitous person. Right, right. right. It's so easy to get along with when you think of what you want to do. Yes. Because here's the thing. I mean, when you try to give up something, you say, this is a bad quality. I want to give it up. It doesn't work to just, that's just all negative. I'm going to give it up. You have to have something to substitute for it. You have to say, I'm giving up this in favor of that. And what we've found in working with people, because we've been giving this speech on the three deceivers for years and years and years, what we've found is that if people just say, I'm, I'm too much of a control freak, I've got to get over it, it's hurting my, my family, it's, it's working against my parenting and against my marriage, I've got to stop being such a control freak, That's, that doesn't cut it. You have to have a substitution for that. And so... We're suggesting to you that you adopt a new attitude for the new year, and it's an attitude of serendipity, which says, hey, yeah, I make my list in the morning, and yes, I have things I wish my kids would do, and, and yes, I have things I wish my husband would improve on, and so on and so forth, or my wife, but I have a serendipity attitude, and I'm going to try to do those things on my list. I'm going to try to behave the way that I set up my goals for, but... Just like you did yesterday, Linda, I'm, if I run into a new interesting person, that's more important than what was on my list. Or if my child has a need that I didn't anticipate, that's more important than what was on my list. Or if my husband seems to feel concern or sadness about something, that's more important than what I had on my list. I'm going to not only willfully but excitedly change my mind and do this new thing that I found instead of the old thing. So back to the definition of serendipity, a state of mind whereby a person frequently, through sensitivity and awareness, finds something better than that which he was seeking. And this attitude is has been so helpful to me. We've been working on this for years, and sometimes I'm better at it than others, but... I love writing down a list of things that I, I want to get done that day, but then thinking to myself, I wonder what's going to happen to me today. And something exciting always happens that I could not have written on my list, even if it's just a sunset. It, you know, you can't write down, watch the sunset at 5.50 or whatever it is. It really is important to realize that things happen to you all the time that you have no control over and you have to embrace it rather than make it be an irritation. Well, I'm glad you said it exactly like that. That's a really good way to sort of cement in your mind what serendipity is. Like when we wake up, most of us think, what am I going to do today? What can I do today? Give me my paper. Give me my, my phone. Let me make a list. I've got to make a list. What can I, what can I make happen today? That's a control thing. And, and there's some good in that. I mean, that's better than laying there saying, hmm, I don't think I'll do anything today. But you're suggesting, Linda, what you just said is so interesting. What if instead you say, I wonder what will happen. It, it's, this is an unknown day. I don't have near as much control over it as I'd like to. I'm going to make a list and try to do what I can and be proactive. But I wonder what else will happen. 
And then when something else does happen and says, oh, darn, it's an interrupting, it's, a, it's an impediment, now I can't get my list done. Now you're saying, hey, that's interesting. I didn't expect that. What are the opportunities here? What is the joy here? What is the beauty here? Yeah, um, it really is fascinating. I, uh, You are the master of this, though, honey. I remember you telling me one time when you came home from work in our younger years, and you'd gotten in a terrible um, um, traffic, traffic jam. Oh, in, jam. in Washington, oh, yes. D.C. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. We, I got in one almost every day. Uh, yeah, it was <clears> awful. <throat> and people were just dead stopped. And so um, you had a big meeting and you were really mad about it. And then you just thought, no, there's nothing I can do about this. So you just pulled off on the breakdown lane and went to sleep. Had a lovely nap. <laughs> when I woke up, all the traffic was gone. Well, and there was the a policeman tapping on the window saying, Sir, are you all right? Are you dead? Are you what? <laughs> and um, it really, you know, made a great day. I mean, every day is not that stark, but there are so many interesting things that happen. Well, it's a perfect example because you can't control the traffic, right? right? So what do you do? Do you beat yourself in the head and get frustrated and I can't control it? But let's apply that to, to families again. What, what do you do when, you know, a child is belligerent and you're trying to get him to do one thing and he wants to do another? Do you, do you just go crazy because you can't control him? Or do you listen to him and say, well, what, what is going on in his mind? What, what is his perspective? How does he see the world? How can I get inside his head and be empathetic, you know? Empathy is a big part of serendipity. Oh, it's absolutely enormous, and empathy is such a good word. And it doesn't mean just sympathy like, oh, sorry, let me know if I can help. It is getting down in that hole with that person and saying, talk to me. Let me, let me feel what you're feeling. How can I help? And it really is so important. It's an important part of serendipity. Well, and with a spouse, I mean, you know, how many marriages are on the rocks? If you really could analyze and see inside, how many marriages are in trouble just because both parties are trying to control the other one? I want to make you into the person I want you to be. And how much more delightful and exciting and somewhat sort of, I don't know, adventurous it is to have a different sort of serendipity attitude where you're saying, I'm, you know, we've been married for a while, but I'm still trying to, I'm still fascinated by you. I'm still trying to understand where you're coming from and how you see things. And, and I, you know, I'm, instead of resenting the differences we have between us, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the differences. I, I, I'm so glad we're different. You, you are, you see things so differently than I do. How can we, learn from each other you know the whole control thing just put it aside and adopt a serendipity approach to marriage well that's easily said and yeah. <laughs> not so easily done i know I because know. we want things to turn out a certain way and we can especially when you can see where a child is going down a path that's leading them to a scary place we just it is so hard to and of course you can suggest what you what you want but after one suggestion you have to let them go because well, you have to so, realize that they, and, they are who they are. And sometimes it's just as simple as just pausing for a minute and just not following your first instinct as a parent. You know, like you're, 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 you hear your, your son listening to rap music and your instinct is to say, wow, you know, 
how can you listen to that garbage? How about stopping for a minute and thinking and saying, hey, tell me what you think of that song. And maybe the kid says, hey, the words are horrible, but I love the rhythm or whatever. Observe. A serendipity attitude is more observant, more tolerant, more accepting, more sensitive, and less controlling. And it makes a huge difference, not only with your marriage, but with your children. And if you're single, it makes an enormous difference, too. So give that a thought this week. And next week, tune in again, and we'll talk about how the attitude of ownership can be destructive to a marriage and parenting, and how the attitude of stewardship can be constructive and wonderful. Good luck. Happy New Year. Have a great one. See you next time on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye.